We're in the third week. We're in the third week of a series just simply called Red. And the idea behind the series is that we are looking at the words of Jesus, which in many editions of the scripture are printed in red. Uh, I've actually got, I haven't got it here tonight, but I've got a, a Bible at home. That's, uh, it's a red letter edition of the scriptures. And uh, I know many of you have. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Murray introduced uh, the series to us, the Red Series to us. He took us to the words of Jesus in, I think it was Matthew 10. And he, he, spoke, about, he, he spoke about the fact that life is not first and foremost about you and me. It's not about us. Life is about God revealed to us. He's been made known to us in the person of Jesus. And we get, that, we get that wrong. I get that wrong. We get that wrong. And we need to get it right because we need to make Jesus the priority of life. He's the first and the last. That's what he said. I'm the first and the last. And he said, and I'm all in between too. I'm the Alpha and the Omega and he's every other letter as well. And then last week, Ross took us to John 13 and spoke to us. He clarified this whole idea of God's mission. And God is a mission that he is, he is renewing all things. He's drawing all things back to himself. And Ross said that one of the places it starts and it continues is in the example that Jesus gave in John 13, where Jesus took up a towel and a basin and he washed disciples' feet. No one else there. He took the lowliest of lowly rolls. And he washed disciples' dirty feet. These were disciples who would deny him. They would desert, they would desert him and they would deceive him. And yet he washed their feet. And it was a humble and yet it was an active, very practical role that he took on. Someone had to do it and he did it. And that's what Christian ministry is about. It's bigger than this church or any church. God's involved. It's his mission. But we, we, we are called to it. And if Jesus would serve us like that, then we're called to reach out and to serve others. And so tonight, I, I, I'm going on into this series, and I want to take you to Matthew chapter 7. But before I read from Matthew chapter 7, I want to share with you over the past couple of years, um, maybe it's got something to do with age, but uh, the last couple of years I've been thinking more and more. If, if I was to preach my last sermon, what would I say? What would I say? God, God willing, this is not my last sermon. Although sometimes in the preparation I wished it was. <laughs> because preparation for me is hard work. I can always think of something else to do. But I want very much, I want very much, when I'm going to preach, to pass through what I'm going to say. I want to pass it through the filter if this was my last sermon. I want very much to, to share with you what he's been pressing in on me. And so we go to, to the Gospel of, uh, of Matthew and the seventh chapter, and I've got it in big print here because I need big print. Uh, Jesus had just finished. He just finished, or he was just finishing his, his amazing sermon, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And as he finished, he, 
I, I believe he was pressing for a decision. He, he wanted people to make a choice. Uh, Jesus was never one just uh, to, to, to say something and have people come up and slap him on the back and say, that was a good, that was good. He wanted response. He wanted response. Basically, he wanted response not only to what he'd said, but he wanted response to who he is as the king of this, this incredible kingdom that, it, that is now started and growing. He was speaking to two groups of people there that day. One was, was large, it was diverse, it was filled with people with, with all sorts of worldviews. People who were in, in, in all sorts of areas of life, pursuing all sorts of pursuits and priorities. And I guess the thing about these people is that they, they didn't really have an encounter with God personally. That's, that's the main feature of that group. The other group was smaller and they had had a personal meeting, a face-to-face with Jesus. And now they were living, they were living humble, servant-like, dependent, obedient lives as disciples of Jesus. And right throughout this message, Jesus is talking, he's talking about two ways. Two approaches to acceptance with God, two kinds of morality, two types of devotion Two levels of love or forgiveness and two approaches to prayer. And nowhere in the sermon does he offer middle ground. You know, it's, it's, it's nice when there's middle ground, isn't it? I like doing opinion polls where they, they give you an other option. It's always harder when it's a yes, no. Well, there's no middle ground in the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus was saying the kingdom of God isn't a both and, it's an either or proposition. And so as he finished his sermon, he pressed hard for a decision. And the rest of his, and as in the rest of his sermon, so in the conclusion, he offers, he says there are two roads, there are two roads to walk. There are two kinds of of those who influence us in life. There are two levels of acceptance and there are two kinds of foundations upon which we, we build our lives. And, and you know, for me to stand here tonight and to hear Jesus, and, and I pray that we'll hear him tonight. And for me to say, well, I can't decide. I'll leave it, I'll leave it till another time. You know, that, that's, that's actually making a decision. Around 40 years ago, in fact, it's over 40 years ago, I was in my first ministry in, a, in the city of Newcastle. Uh, I think they mentioned Newcastle tonight. Uh, my first church was in Newcastle. I was 23 years old. How many of you are 23 or older? I guess most of the people here tonight are 23 or older. I was 23, and I was called into a ministry in a church, Kerry and I. And they were the days when you preached twice every Sunday, and you had to preach a different sermon. Boy, did I dish up some stuff that, oh. They were a really gracious, caring, accepting church. They might not love the, minister, the, the, the messages, but they loved the preacher. That was good. That was good. And I can remember one night, very clearly, very clearly, one Sunday night. And as, as we drew to the conclusion, I asked a question. 
And there was, a, there, was a, there was some young people there that night. There was a group of young blokes sitting right in the front seat. I guess they were somewhere between 12 and 16 years of age. And I said, everyone here tonight is going to make a decision. And there was this one young bloke sitting there and he was going, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Let's go to Matthew 7. In verse 13, Jesus said this. He said, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few and I find a question there there's a question that comes out of those words and the question is this which road which road are you on which road are you on You see, Jesus said everyone is on a road, one of two roads. And those two roads are are, are headed towards an ultimate eternal destination. And the destinations are either life or destruction. You know, even for me to say that, in some circles, in some churches, for me to say that would be very unpopular. Very unpopular. You see, in some places it's considered, those words of Jesus are considered uh, confining and restrictive, unsophisticated and regressive. But that's what Jesus said. And if you've got a problem with this, then you, you go and talk to him about it. That's what he said. So which road are you on? The world loves breadth. The highest value held in our country today is tolerance we live in a country which most people don't understand what tolerance means for most people tolerance means you can believe what you want that's what tolerance is until you say well that's not right and then everybody becomes intolerant Our world, our society loves tolerance but hates absolute standards. The idea of fixed standards and objective truth, universally applicable, is insulting to many people. And nowhere is this more true than in the world of religion. Now, I'm not saying the religions of the world say that there shouldn't be absolute truth. I've sat down with Muslim friends And they've laid out before me what they believe about God and and how you get to God. And they're very definite. There's no movement there. But I find amongst the 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 nominally religious and amongst the elite who are secular... There is this very clear idea that there, is only, that, that there are many ways to God. There is no right and wrong. And it's arrogant to say that there is just one way to God. And yet that's exactly what Jesus said. According to Jesus, everybody in this room here tonight is on one of those roads. Everybody. There are no multiple roads up the mountain. Now... Jesus said there's a broad road and it's wide and it's easy and it's occupied by the majority of people in the world. And you'd think that would be a source of comfort. I'll give you an example. 
When I go swimming in the surf, I always go and I stand in the middle of the people. Because if there are any sharks out there, I sort of work on the basis. They've got to get through others to get to me. So when there's a good big group there, I feel very comfortable. But I want to share with you, when Jesus says that the many are on this road, it's not to be a source of comfort. This is meant to provoke us. This is meant to be startling. Because I want to tell you, it was the many in the crowd that put him to death. Everybody on this road is there until they choose otherwise. You're on the broad road. If you haven't made a response, a deliberate, intentional response to Jesus. Now, we could easily think that only social misfits, moral misfits are on this road. Well, they are on this road. But they're not the only ones. They're not the only ones. The the drug baron's on this road. The, The people trafficker is on this road. Those who are violent, those, those who neglect their families, who, those absent dads, those who are, are um, overwhelmed and, and have a, a, an, a, an addiction to alcohol or drugs, who, who, are, uh, who are dangerous with children, they're on this road, but, but they're not the only ones on this road. No, Jesus said, temple-going people are on this road, uh, uh, mosque attenders and churchgoers are on this road. Uh, Jesus said that morally upright, Bible-believing, Bible-toting, God-believing, praying people are on this road. Some of the people on this road memorize scripture. They fast twice a week. They tithe. That means they give a tenth of all their income. They pray and they pray loud and they pray long and they pray in public. You see, this is a popular road, and it's traveled by, by a, a lot of people, most people. By the religious and the irreligious, by the moral and the immoral. And in verse 13, Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. In, in verse 14, he says, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And immediately his words are imposing limitations. When he starts to speak about a a narrow gate and a narrow way, his his words are are imposing limitations on, on what we can believe and how we behave. He says it's narrow. The entry point is limiting. It's a restrictive gate that affords little space. You know, the word here for narrow is the word... Stenos. And it, it, it's a word that we've sort of adopted in English. So if you've got any, any, anything of a medical background, you, you'll know what stenosis of the coronary arteries means. It means a narrowing of the coronary arteries. That's the word that Jesus is talking about here. It's a narrowing. And, and the word literally means to groan. And if your heart arteries are starting to narrow, you're going to start to groan before long with chest pain. It means being under pressure. It means being a, in, a, in a difficult place, in a distressing place. And Jesus is talking about a gate and a road that's like that. You know, one of the interesting things to me is that broad road travelers readily accept the narrowness 
that is associated with certain pursuits of life. In other words, to go anywhere in education, in sport, in business, if you want to be an outstanding musician, an artist, narrowness is essential. If you want to excel in any of those areas, it's going to affect your sleep. It may affect your diet. It'll affect certainly your social life. It'll impact on you. If it's sport, it will even cause you physical pain. Because the way to excel in, in those areas is to confine your life, to restrict your life so that you are focused in your pursuits. Your life will be squeezed. And right up front, we accept that and we applaud those people who accept those limitations to excel. But what about the narrowness of, of faith issues, of, of religion, of, of spirit, the spiritual dimension? Jesus said that the narrow gate, that the gate to follow him, if you're going to follow him, there can't be any baggage. No self-sufficiency. No self-determination. No pride. Because God is opposed to the proud and he lifts up the humble. No self-promotion, Murray was saying. It's not about us. It's about him. It's not about glory seeking. Ross said it's not about getting a slap on the back. It's about humble, quiet service. That's what Jesus is calling people to do. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the door, I'm the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And in John 14, there is that centerpiece of scripture where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to God except through me. And there is nothing more restrictive than that statement because Jesus is saying, I am the way. You know, the, the religious prophets and leaders of the world, they say, that is the way, or that is the way, or that is the way. But Jesus was different. He didn't point a way. He said, I am the way. And he is not only the one who tells the truth, he is the truth. He is the one consistent, enduring reality against which all else must be, must be measured. And so if you want to know about God, we go to Jesus. If we want to know about ourselves, we need to go to Jesus. If we want to know about life, we go to Jesus. Because he is the truth and he is the life, he's the source of life and he supplies the supply of life. This gate is so narrow that only one can go through it at a time. And the idea is this, that you can't go into this way that is narrow to life on the shoulders of somebody else. You can't go in on someone else's faith. You can't go in on the belief system of your church. You, you need to come to grips with this yourself and make your own personal face-to-face there needs to be a face-to-face -face with Jesus. You know where you'll end up in eternity will be dependent upon the, the road that you, you're walking now. So which road are you walking? And then in verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inward, inwardly are ravenous wolves. I nearly said lions. Uh, <laughs> you will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. 
But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. And the question Jesus is asking here is this, who are you listening to? Who are the influences? Who's speaking into your life? And of course, immediately we think, well, it's the Bible teacher, it's the preacher. Now, wait a minute. Let's not start there. There are a hundred voices speaking and speaking into our lives. There are influencers speaking into our lives every day. When you walk out of your front door, there are those who are trying to influence you immediately. Every time you turn the telly on or a radio on, every time you open a book or a magazine, every time you listen to someone, someone is exerting influence. And Jesus is saying, he's not saying don't listen, but he's saying choose what you're going to listen to. Be aware of what you're listening to. And then I, I really believe he is saying, especially, he's saying, be alert to phony preachers. He says, weigh what they say and examine how they live. All religious teachers need to be evaluated, including this one. What they teach and how they live. And if their lives don't match their words and their words don't align with the scriptures, if, they, if they're preaching more than the scriptures, then they're preaching too much. And if they're preaching less than the scriptures, they're not preaching enough. And if that's the case, give them a flick. Because the influence is not the influence of the word of God by the power of the Spirit through that word. Can I tell you this? There are hundreds of preachers today going around and they're saying, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. But what they're banking on is that Jesus sells. Jesus sells. So who are you listening to? And then in verse 21, Jesus said this. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And the question that comes to, comes to me so strongly here is this. Who are you trying to impress? Who is your saviour? Who is the one who is, who is rescuing you, who is delivering you? Who are you trying to impress? You know, the words of Jesus here are amongst the most searching, confronting, frightening words ever spoken. They, they impact on me right now. They shake me. Not, not to the point where I'm not talking about I've, I'm losing the assurance of my salvation because that's not the purpose of tonight. I, if you're a follower of Jesus, I don't, want to, I don't want to shake the assurance of your salvation. But my, my concern this morning is, this evening, I'm, I, 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 I preached this this morning too, so. <laughs> it is night, isn't it? <laughs> um, my concern is that some of us have been lulled into a false and a, a foolish state. 
and we think everything's okay. And it's not. It's not. These are, these are searching, penetrating words. And I will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. On that day, what day is he talking about? He's talking about the end day, the final day, the judgment day, the day when, when people will have to give an account for their life, how they've lived. And everybody knows that on that day, God is the judge. And yet in this passage of scripture, Jesus is saying, you're going to come to me. And I will say to you, can I tell you that sitting in church here tonight, in, in this building tonight, and you'd never pick them, they are theologically correct, externally reverent, and emotionally engaged, exuberant. And there are some here tonight, some of you who will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Who are you? Who are those people? They understand who Jesus is. They call him Lord. The word that is, is in the original text of the Greek is kurios. Between uh, the 3rd century and 132 BC, a group of scholars in North Africa took the Hebrew text and they, they translated into a Greek text, a Bible. It's called the Septuagint. And they took the word, the personal name of God, Yahweh, and you know how they translated They translated it Lord. These people in church tonight understand that Jesus is God. And they are emotionally engaged, involved. They, they don't just say Lord, they say Lord, Lord. They're passionate. You know, in the Semitic cultures, intensity of, of, of emotion is evident in repetition. So when David, the king of Israel, received news that his son had been killed in the battle, he, he broke down and he wept and he cried, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. There was emotion there and he was expressing it. Time and again when Jesus spoke, and it's, it's there in the New Testament, he said, truly, truly. When he went to uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha's house and Mary was fixing up a, a banquet and, and she, was, uh, she was getting upset with her with sister. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, oh, too much, too much. Only one thing's necessary. These are the people. And they, uh, and they, they sing with enthusiasm and gusto. There will be times when they'll weep. And they'll say to Jesus, but, but we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and we did my, many mighty works in their, your name. And they did. They did those things. Jesus doesn't say, no, you didn't. On that judgment day, these people will say to Jesus what they've been saying to everybody else throughout their entire life. And that, what, what, what they're doing is they're demanding... They're demanding something from Jesus on the basis of their performance. They'll say, Jesus, it was all about you. I did it all for you. It was all about you. And he'll say, no, no, it wasn't about me. It was all about you. You did it for you. I wasn't even there. 
Because you were trying to build up a credit bank. You were trying to impress. I reckon we need to stop here for a minute. Because I don't think we realize how important this is. This is one of the central factors that we need to come to grips with. For 11 years, I ministered. I was in a church for 11 years. And you know how I functioned? I functioned out of guilt. I functioned out of guilt and it nearly killed me. I worked six days a week and I was out five nights a week. And even when I was home, my head space and wasn't at home. I take my kids to the park to play with them, but I wasn't thinking about the kids at the park. I was back home doing some work. I take my son to, to tennis on Saturday morning, and I'd have a piece of paper, and I was, I was working through a sermon. And it wasn't until one night that my 11-year-old daughter said to me, Dad, you're not going out again tonight. And whack, it hit me. 11-year-old could see what I was doing because I was trying to impress people and please people and I was after their, 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 their compliments. And, 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 and our default mode is we go to that. And I'm not saying service, I'm not saying... And Jesus is not saying what these people were doing was wrong. He was just saying your motive was wrong. Go deeper, go deeper. Because Christianity is not an outward life. It's something that flows from, from within and out. And if the motive is wrong, then it's all wrong. And so we come to the last passage here because the genuineness of faith is in his last little story there of two houses. And in that little story, and I'm going to read it, he asks the question, what are you building your life on? The two houses in this story appear to be the same. And I want to tell you that authentic Christians and counterfeit Christians appear to be the same. So what's missing? Well, it's here in verses 24 to 27. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell... And the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Everything turns, everything turns on what we're hearing and doing. You see, we listen. We hear words. We listen to words, but we don't hear with the heart. There's an ear in every heart. There's an ear in every heart. And that's where the problem lies. The problem is that we don't hear with the ear of the heart. Between 1932 and 1945, Franklin Roosevelt was the President of the United States of America. He was the 32nd President. 
And a president in those days would endure long queues of people who would come to the White House and he would, he would shake hands with them. And he, he, he was really upset because he said, when I talk to people, they don't really hear what I say. And so he, he thought, I'll, I'll, I've got a little experiment. I'm going to do this. So the next time there was a, a group of people who came, as each person came and shook his hand, he leaned over and he said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. I murdered my grandmother this morning. And the guests responded with phrases like, Marvellous. Keep up the good work. We're proud of you. God bless you. And that was until he greeted the Bolivian ambassador. And he leaned over the Bolivian ambassador and he said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And startled, the ambassador leaned over to him and said, in a whisper, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> you see, we, we listen, we hear words, but we don't hear with the heart. And until... Until the person of Jesus and the words of Jesus melt your heart, your direction and your destination won't change. Has, has Jesus melted your heart? Does his words affect you? The Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience. And that's how you know if your heart's been melted because you're submissive. So the Bible the Bible knows no faith that does not lead to obedience and it recognizes no obedience that doesn't come from faith. The Bible is very clear. There are two ways to obey God. The one is so that you will be accepted and loved. The other is because you know that you are totally accepted and loved. So why do you do ministry? Why do you serve? Why are you the person you, you are? Obedience. Do you obey because you're after acceptance and love from God, from other people? Or because you know that there is a king? There's a saviour. Who loved you so much, it cost him everything. You know, the, you know the degree of love by the cost involved. No, there was never a greater cost. Not in all of history was there ever an expression of love with such a great cost. He spent it all. He gave it all. And when you know that you're loved and accepted, it'll melt your heart. And you'll want to obey. You'll want to obey. I, I got some more stuff here, but I want to tell you a story. I'm going to finish with this story. A man married a woman. The woman was a little bit younger than the guy. The man was, it was a good man, but he was very serious. And he was very strict. 
And although every need, every physical need was provided for, there was no joy in that marriage. There was no happiness. And every morning when he, he went to work, he'd leave her a list of jobs to do. And when he got home, he expected that those jobs would be done. That man died. It was very sad. She was sad. He died. And sometime later, she married another man, and there was, there was a deep commitment, and there was a, a passionate love for one another, and there was such joy. And oh, it was, it was good. And one day he went to work and she got her out the house and she went up to the bedroom and she opened a drawer. She was doing something in the drawer and she found in the drawer one of those lists of jobs that the first husband gave her. And she started to read through the, the list of things. And it suddenly hit her that she was still doing the same things. But not because she had to, because... She loved this new man so much, she wanted to. It was, it was a great joy. She, she didn't even realize she was doing it. And I want to say tonight, when you encounter Jesus at that level and he touches your heart and you realize the degree that he loves you, and if you don't know that, then what, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to go to the cross. You need to go there and you need to keep going there and you, you need to just spend time at the cross because it's at the cross where God was saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. You know, in this life, whether we're on the broad road or the narrow road, we're, we're looking for something that will bring satisfaction and fulfillment and joy and hope into our hearts. I've got some words here and I'm trying to find them, so just bear with me. Ah, here they are. In every one of us, there is a longing. There is a longing for something. And I want to tell you, in this life, you never quite grasp it. The years may bring great relationships, wonderful family, successful career, a great, or, or great life experiences. But you can, you can have them all. Honestly, you can have them all. You can have that relationship. You can put your fingers around that career. You can do that vacation. And you think that the thing that you're longing for will be in those things, but it's not. It's not. Because deep down there's something more. And that something is a, a longing that no lover, no vacation, no house, no career, even the best possible ones can fulfill. Throughout life, the one that you've wanted in all your wanting, the one that you sought in all your seeking, the one that you, was, you were looking for to love the most, who might love you the most. What Jesus is saying here is that I'm that one. I'm that one. What you're looking for in life, in other places, and especially if you're on that broad road, it's actually in Jesus. And you'll never be satisfied or fulfilled until you have him. 
And what Jesus says to us very clearly tonight, whether you know it or not, you are really after me. You could gain the whole world, but you wouldn't be satisfied because you'd lose everything if you lose me. When you lose me, you lost everything. He's saying, do whatever it takes to get me. Do whatever it takes to make me the center of your life. So everything else is not worth not having Jesus. Our band's going to come and lead us in our final song. I'm going to pray. I know, just by the very law of averages, that there are people here tonight that are on the broad road. I don't know where you're at. I've got to be honest with you. I don't, I don't know a lot of you very well, Dot. I don't know where you're at. But Jesus knows where you're at, and you know where you're at. And the question is, which road are you walking? Who are you listening to? What stuff are you taking into your life? Who are you trying to impress? <coughs> what are you building your life on? What foundation? Because it's all about him. And as we sing this last song, and we're going to stand in a minute, we're going to sing. If you want to, if you want to do something about it, you can, you can step from the, the broad to the narrow tonight. You can sp sp step from, from what's leading to destruction to life. And you'll encounter the one that you've always needed. You've always been after. Let's pray. Thank you, God, our Father, that the words of Jesus are the words of life. I'm glad, Father, that uh, whenever Jesus spoke to people, he made people make a decision. And even if it was to walk away... People were pushed into that position. And I'm praying tonight, as we bow before you, and as in a moment we stand and sing, we'll understand that you're speaking to me. In these moments, it's not about me and the rest of the people here, it's about me and you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will help people to, to come to grips with the fact that the reason their, hearts is be their heart is beating harder and, and their mouth is dry and their palms are sweaty and there's a lump in their throat is because you're, you're speaking to them. And they need, they need you more than anything. And I pray that you will, you will move them by your Spirit because, Holy Spirit, you came to convict us of our unbelief, of the, the, the wonder and the beauty of Jesus Christ and the fact that the road that is brought is all about judgment. There is a judgment. So we lay our lives before you and we wait upon you now in these moments in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to give uh, Jesus an opportunity, if you want to meet with him, you can do that tonight. You don't have to come to the front. There's no pressure for me to come to the front. But if, if you want us to help you, I'd encourage you to come to the front so we can pray with you. We want to pray with you. And um, we want to support you. There's not anyone in this room who's against you tonight.
So uh, over to the guys here. Let's, uh, let's stand and sing.